0: Welcome to this week's Dude Therapist episode. We have another amazing guest, Jory Rose, an LMFT, a licensed marriage and family therapist, mindfulness and meditation teacher, coach, author, speaker, and she also leads mindfulness retreats around the world. Jory has helped thousands of people to live happier and more fulfilling lives through living with greater awareness and compassion, allowing them to decrease their stress, anxiety, and shed unhealthy habits, patterns, and mindsets. Jory is host of the podcast Journey Forward with Jory Rose and has authored two mindfulness books, Squirmy Learns to Be Mindful and Mindfulness, It's Elementary, and has a new book on gratitude coming out in early 2021. Jory has been featured in prominent media outlets such as Oprah Magazine.com, and NBCNews.com, Business Insider, KTLA News, and so many more. I'm so excited for you all to hear this amazing episode. It is a good one. Let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I am so excited to have this amazing, amazing person, Joy Rose, introduce yourself. Tell us what you're all about. Go for it.
1: Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be talking with you. So I'm Joy Rose. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Northern California. And I focus a lot on mindfulness as a framework because I think everyone in the world needs greater tools to be more mindful. And, you know, if it's changed my life, I believe it can change everyone else's because it has been a journey for sure for me to get where I am. And I could not have done it without having a solid set of tools to help me At my biggest moments of insecurity, of struggle, of overwhelm, of anxiety, of fear. And so I'm all about teaching people the tools to create lasting positive change, to really get unstuck from what's not working in their life. And I know that's like a really broad get unstuck, but what does that mean? Well, whether it's habits or patterns or mindsets or relationships or even just getting stuck in emotions, getting stuck in thoughts and I believe there's always a way to get through. And so I'm I'm really passionate about this. And, you know, especially with the mindfulness piece, since I started my own practice, which that in and of itself is an amazing journey. You know, it's evolved so much in a secular way that there's so much more societal awareness application uh, in a way that's relatable and attainable. So I want to continue to be that face of someone who gives people tools that I believe we all we, we all need, because ultimately we all just want to be happy. We all want to feel peace. We want to feel calm in our lives. We want to be able to be resilient when, you know, life starts going crazy as it's done in 2020.
0: <laughs> to say the least, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love and wanted to bring you on is because, you know, as the dude therapist is really about bringing mental health awareness and advocacy and yes. talking about different aspects of mental health, you bring a different flavor that might not be as focused on in classical quote unquote therapy, um, which I know I practice mindfulness myself. I know I promote mindfulness when I work with a lot of clients. Um, Now that you touched on it, even though I was going to ask this later on, let's talk about 2020 and what are some things that you can kind of give the listeners some tips on mindfulness and kind of being in the moment or maybe explain mindfulness first, before we get into the tips.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would love that. And that's one of the things that I always like to do whenever I come on for interviews is I like to give my definition of mindfulness, because even when I was learning these tools, I was still really confused what it actually meant, like, to be honest, and I I, I went on a retreat with John Kabat-Zinn, you know, he's the grandfather of mindfulness in the Western world. And I walked out of that retreat, knowing my life was changed and yet still a little confused in how to apply it to everyday life. So mm-hmm. to give you guys a really solid definition, um, so when I say mindfulness, you know what I mean by what I'm talking about, is I first want to be able to break down the traditional definition of what you often hear. You know, you your mindfulness about being in the present moment, paying attention on purpose, non-judgmentally. That's kind of mm-hmm. a pretty standard stock definition, yeah. which sounds lovely, but I'm not really sure people even know what that means right? So to be in the present moment, okay, so if we're not present, where are we? Well, our mind is wandering to the past. Oh, remember life pre-COVID, how lovely that was, right? Or we're wandering to the future. Oh my God, how long is COVID going to be here for? How long are we going to keep doing this? Or we're distracted by digital devices or distractions in our environment, or we're caught up in, you know, our thoughts that just keep ruminating all over the place and running around like a hyper puppy. So to be in the present moment is way easier said than done, but I actually want to take it one step further and to say, it's not so much about always being present to me. Being mindful is about noticing when you're not Mm. right. Because we can't be present all of the time and nor would we necessarily want to, I don't think it's an attainable thing to strive for. To me, being mindful is at the fundamental level, having awareness So instead of mindlessly being distracted, just know that you're distracted and then know how to intentionally bring your attention back if that's what you choose to do. So being in the present moment, I really define as um, paying attention to what's arising in the present moment. So when you're being present, what are you noticing? You're noticing your thoughts. You're noticing your emotions. You're noticing the sensations in your body. You're noticing the distractions around you. And then you're having, so I am set back one step to say, I, I define mindfulness in three words, awareness, as I just described, attention and intention. Mm-hmm. So once we're having awareness of what's arising in the present moment, if we've noticed our attention is not present, we bring it back, right? But once we're aware of what's coming up for us, thoughts, emotions, sensations, distractions, paying attention to what do we typically do? When those thoughts arise, what do we typically do with our emotional experience? What do we typically do when we feel sensation or distractions around us? And then having intention to know why you're doing what you're doing on purpose. So you're getting off of autopilot and into the driver's seat of your own life. Hmm. And the two other words that I use constantly are curiosity and compassion as part of that definition. So if we go back to the traditional you know, definition of mindfulness of paying attention on purpose. Well, that, but I would say that's intention, right? And the non-judgmental part, here's a really tricky thing. and I know a lot of people who've gotten stuck on this because I don't know about you, Ellie, but I have judgments because I'm human.
0: Mm-hmm. I've got
1: inner self judgments. I have judgments about others all the time. having having judgments is human. So when you hear a definition of something to say, to not be judgmental and you experience judgment right off the bat. You're going to think I can't do this mindfulness Mm -hmm. stuff. That's not going to work for me because look at me. I'm full of judgments. So again, it's in the same way. It's not about always being present. It's not about not having judgments. It's about noticing the judgments, being curious about them, observing them, giving them room to exist and then deciding with intention what to do with them. And really, I believe that the opposite of judgment is compassion. Hmm. So to be able to reframe that and to say, okay, I'm having all these judgments. How can I reframe this into compassion for myself or for somebody else? Mm -hmm. So maybe that is equally as confusing as a definition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. You know, in in the therapy practice that I I usually say, like, feel the feels, like, you know, like it's okay to have the feelings because feelings are human and feelings are natural. But then what do we go from there? It's about being curious, observing them, watching them. Being aware and noticing them when they come and not saying, no, no feelings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing with thoughts. And I, you know, I see that most everyone, that's where they get most stuck. They get stuck in their thoughts and they get stuck in their emotions. And they think that we're not supposed to feel these emotions Mm -hmm. and that something is wrong with us for feeling what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. And they believe that we should be able to um, just bypass what's hard.
0: And then they come Not to therapy the hoping that we fix that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, so I actually got my start teaching mindfulness in schools to young kids at the school I was at for four years. Well, was that's actually, what the books you wrote, right? Yes, I've got two books I've written on mindfulness. One is a a book for young kids, like three to six-year-olds. The other is a book designed for either a teacher or a school counselor or an educator to guide a child through a mindfulness practice. There's 12 different lessons that come complete with exercises, scripts for, quote, meditations. And I put, quote, meditations in air quotes for a reason, and I can go back to that in a minute. But, you know, kids, they actually really love being mindful. And when I would walk in, you know, put in practicing these tools and to think, oh, you're never going get, to get a kid to slow down, to be quiet, to be still, to meditate, to become more aware. Let me tell you, kids are closer to the source than we adults are. We mm-hmm. unlearn that natural state of curiosity. I mean, look at a child, they are feeling what they're feeling without abandon. They're not judging themselves for why are they having a tantrum? <laughs> they're just like, my body wants to flail right now and I'm going to let it flail. <laughs>
0: A hundred percent.
1: And yeah. And, but when I was working with kids, the, the one word answer I would really give of what it means to be mindful is just to be aware. And part of that awareness is creating space between you and whatever's arising. And I'll, I'll explain it like this. I once was working with an 11 year old girl and she described her anxiety as like being in the middle of a tornado. Mm. which I loved the visual. I'm Mm. really, really big into visuals. I'm going to share some of my favorite visuals with you, but this was a good one. She said, I feel like my anxiety is being in the middle of a tornado. And I said, wow, like I I get what that must feel like. I said, I'm not here to deny the tornado. It's what's here. It's what you're experiencing. Mm. However, let's see if you can practice being the weatherman commentating on the tornado. Mm. Just step outside of it and observe it Mm. like, wow, that tornado came out of nowhere. Wow, this is a really big one. Wow, this is like pulling lots of destruction with wherever it, you know, turn it takes. And by giving permission for the tornado to still be there, but just shifting your vantage point, shifting your relationship to it allows you to see with a little bit more clarity. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the old adage of you can't see the forest or the trees Mm -hmm. when you're so in it, when you're so stuck in an emotion, it's going to take over right? Versus riding that wave allows you to surrender to it a little bit because an irony that surrendering is what gives you the power.
2: Yeah.
1: Not when you try to hold and grasp and cling on to it. Yeah. Easier said than done. (laughs) I I say that constantly, you know, these are very simple practices, but they're not necessarily easy because we're really conditioned with really well-established patterns that we thought worked for us (laughs) until one day you realize,
0: oh, wait, it's not working. And, you know, I love how you said the thing about the child. You know, one of the reasons why I love hanging out with my daughter, other than her being my daughter, and I'm obsessed with her, is that the things she notices and points out and the things that she sees when we go on a walk or the things that she's aware of or truly picks up on that I am just not in tune to, and I'm a pretty perceptive person, but she's just on a very just pure in touch with that base start that gets kind of skewed over the years of experiences. And, yeah. and it's beautiful. It's magical to listen and watch.
1: Well, and it's the ultimate experience of beginner's mind, yeah. right? She literally is going on that walk as if for the first time.
2: She's seeing and leaves she's seeing and
1: things. Oh, and... and then not just that, but there's that level of curiosity. And then there's that level of awe i like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, look at that. Like, daddy, daddy, look, right? Like,
0: She yells, birds, birds.
1: Yeah, we got a dog um, pre-COVID, good timing. And um, we've got a, a little mini golden doodle. His <gasps> name is Buddha. His, his uh, name is Buddha, by the way. Great name, great name. He's He embodies his name. But my 14-year-old daughter is literally obsessed with our dog. Every day, and we've had him for over a year. And, and uh, this is the language I use at home. Like every day, she has beginner's mind with him. Every day is as if the first time she's like, oh my God, like, do you see how cute he is? Like, it, it never gets old. You know? adorable. It's
2: adorable.
1: It's amazing. And to be able to, and, and, and as adults, we don't have the time to do beginner's mind and have that level of awe all the time. But again, to recognize when are we going through our life mindlessly? Mm-hmm versus when are we able to just notice and then come back and get off autopilot. Like I give the example of, there's nothing wrong with scrolling on your phone, right? We look at that as a complete mindless activity. I know at the end of the day, I need some mindless activity and that's perfectly fine. I I see a lot of clients, there's a lot that's going on in the world. I need to detach, I need to numb out, scrolling through, playing some dots, Is actually good self-care for me until it's no longer self-care and I become mindless about it. Mm. And I think there's a shift. When am I doing this for relaxation versus when am I doing this and I'm no longer even aware I'm doing this and my hand is now numb,
0: right? (laughs) It's like when, I don't know if you remember with the old Netflix when it first started, if you were watching for too long, it actually asked you if you were actually still watching because it, and I remember seeing that for the first time and being hit in the face by the thought of, like, how long have I been sitting here? I forgot that I was using this as a way to kind of decompress, relax, um, watch friends, whatever the show I was watching to kind of enjoy my day or to relax from the day. And it hit a point where Netflix wasn't sure if I was still watching mindfully. And it said, excuse me, maybe you should go outside or maybe, are you sure you're still watching? And I remember sitting there truly that to me is what mindfulness is about. Yeah, It's about doing things with purpose, doing things yeah. with focus, and it doesn't have to be the most, quote unquote, productive or successful no. thing, but it has to be with where your head is at, at the time.
1: Yeah. You know, and th- the reason I got into all this is, you know, I woke up one day in my early thirties and was like, how did I get here? Mm. I don't remember how I got here. And I... I knew I made the choices to get to where I was but those choices were also fear-based and anxiety-based and it was always what's what's next what's next what's next what's next and I was seeking what was next so frantically in an effort to create safety and security of the unknown
0: Well thank and, you for describing my life right now you know that's
1: yeah <laughs> And it worked until it didn't work anymore mm. And I was like, wait a second, because I I'd got into that point where there were no more what was next. Mm-hmm. Like I, I achieved it all. Like I married my high school sweetheart. I had my two daughters. We had the home. Like I got mm-hmm. to be a stay at home mom, which at the time was what I really most wanted to be. And I was grateful that I got to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember even having the thought like. I'm never going to meet any new people because this is my life is done. Like mm-hmm. I've arrived. Where am I going to expand? Where am I going to grow? And it really created this crisis of consciousness. This crisis of my existence of who am I and am I here because I want to be or am I here? Cause I've always been afraid not to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, to be able to have these big mindset shifts of is the way I've been running my life really in alignment with who I want to be, with my values, with, is this the right thing? And part of it was I was in my head my whole life. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I was staying with what was logical and rational and reasonable, and I wasn't tuning into my body. So mindfulness also gives us the ability to slow down and to exhale and to tune into what is that message my body is telling me that I'm otherwise been pushing away Mm because I don't want to pay attention to that because that might be hard to face,
0: (laughs) I think we're afraid. I think we're afraid of that inner voice or that inner feeling that is so a part of us that has helped us survive and helped us thrive over the years that we've been living. And we kind of push that aside. I know for me, I have a chronic illness and one of the things I have Crohn's and a lot of it has to do with the body and how it feels, whether it's fatigue, GI issues. I'm not going to get into details, it's a little graphic, but it's about me being not- noticing what my body is telling yeah. me what i need to do for my body and when i do when i push that aside when i don't focus on it when i'm not aware of it or i'm trying to avoid it it ends up biting me in the butt later on because yeah. i didn't do what my body was telling me when i needed to do it and said oh i'll deal with it later and then i get a lot sicker or it doesn't help later on and i love that you yeah. brought that up about you know, I was going to ask this question, you know, about that day in your 30s, you know, reading your website and going, doing some research, you spoke about that day in your 30s, then what did you do for yourself, for the, all the listeners who might be going through those similar things? I know right now during Corona, and I, I promise listeners, we'll get into that later, but you know, the uncertainty and anxieties of what to do or where you are in your life. And you're feeling that, and you have that moment of clarity going, well, you said before when you're 30s, what did you do next?
1: what I did next is I got into therapy and I realized because I had already been on the track to become a therapist. I'd already gotten in California. You need 3000 hours to become licensed outside right out of grad school. I got 1500 hours done, decided I wasn't in the space to do this. Mm -hmm. Stopped my hours, had my babies. Now my youngest was in kindergarten, had this like a hot awakening moment. Mm -hmm. And I, um, got into therapy. It was sitting in my therapist's office that I realized, I think I want to go back for my hours.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had to start over again. So in mm-hmm. the end I've done 4,500 hours Wow, <laughs> overachiever <laughs> over here. Yeah. So, but that led to my discovery of mindfulness. I saw I mean a series of serendipitous events that I'm only going to share a couple of the big ones with you, but um, it started me going on retreats and it started me taking mindfulness classes and I started getting more involved in kind of, uh, there was, there's a conference that has been going on for many years called, called wisdom 2.0 and it's an intersective business and mindfulness. And there was an offshoot like of a women, women, women and wisdom event that I went to one night. Mm -hmm. So there were two major turning points in from which I was able to, make this shift. And, and and I like to just give bigger context because I, I, I grew up with fear and anxiety handed to me on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. Um my mom's parents were killed in a car accident when my mom was 16. Mm-hmm. My mom was the only survivor of the accident. They were hit head on by a drunk driver. She had two younger brothers, 13 and seven, that she became instant caretaker to. Her Russian immigrant grandparents moved in. Um, and Her parents' accident ruled, uh, you know, still to this day, the anniversary of the accident was just last week. It it impacted everything of her parenting, as you could imagine. Mm -hmm. Couple that anxiety and fear that bad things happen. The world's a really scary place. My parents got divorced when I was three and my dad committed suicide when I was 10. Mm -hmm. So my fears and anxiety of... Kind of worst case scenarios weren't what ifs in my family.
0: They were up front and center.
1: They 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 were realities, mm-hmm. and so it was this real challenge because a lot of us get stuck in anxiety of the unknown and what ifs. But to me, my what ifs were real. Mm-hmm. Given you know that didn't happen to me, but the results of those traumas were embedded in my mind and in my body. So I felt like I was fighting this intense uphill battle of how do I not believe what I actually know to be true, Mm -hmm. which is the future is unknown and the future is scary, which is no surprise why I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart who I was with since I was 13 years old, because it created the safety and security of what was known, Mm -hmm. which is what I was seeking Mm -hmm. until it no longer was in alignment and nothing ever bad happened. It just, I realized I'd been seeking that security. so. I had real work I had to do because, again, those fears and anxieties were transgenerational traumas and (laughs) not even pre-generation, like, you know, um, so getting still for the first time was powerful. I had never slowed down. And that first meditation I was guided in on a a mindfulness class, I thought I was going to (laughs) die because I was so afraid to be alone with my thoughts Mm -hmm. because... I had spent a really good amount of time trying to run to what was next and not face what was scary.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so, two big turning points. So, hope you don't mind my storytelling, but they're good I love stories. I will make good. So, the first one was this Women and Wisdom event I went to, and there was about two hundred women in a room at a conference room at a hotel in San Francisco, and there was a motivational speaker up on the stage. And she said, I'm gonna pull someone's name at random out of a hat, and that person's gonna come up on stage and speak for two minutes.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, you heard this collective groan across the room of like, (gasps) Like like don't pick me. Anxiety provoking, right? And she said, What are you guys experiencing right now? And people just started shouting out, like, my heart is racing. I'm beginning to sweat. I'm getting nervous. My thoughts are racing. I'm getting a pit in my stomach. I feel nauseous. And she said, what you just described is simply energy moving through your body. And you were in a habit of labeling that energy as fear. She said, what would happen if you simply labeled it just as energy and you used it to plug it in? and inspire you or motivate you. And something about the way she said that clicked for me, that I was in the habit of labeling everything as anxiety versus just energy. And she then said, okay, I'm not gonna pick a a name at random. You heard this collective sigh of relief. She says, but I will give you a chance to come up on stage and speak. And I otherwise would have let my anxiety and fear shut me down. But instead, I threw my hand up in the air and said, I'm going to do this and use that energy and plug it in rather than stop me. And to motivate people, she said, You know, if you come up on stage, we're going to give you a standing ovation on the way up and a standing ovation on the way down. And I'm like, Well, that sounds like a nice thing to have. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I spoke about for two minutes, but I did it. And mm. that was my first step of getting past the habit of labeling my energy or thoughts only as fear or bad or anxious. The second and bigger life-changing moment of how I what I did with all of that, and again, I delved in deep. And mind you, I was delving in deep to mindfulness and meditation, both personally and professionally. Like I was getting certified in different courses and trainings, but as I was doing this professional path it interwove with a personal depth. And I hold a lot of integrity around the practice of mindfulness. I wasn't going to teach something I wasn't embodying. And through another series of absolute serendipitous events, I ended up on retreat with Dan Millman at the Omega Institute in upstate New York. Do you know who Dan Millman is? Nope. Have you ever heard of the book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior? Yes. He's the author of that book.
0: Amazing.
1: I random... Chance was told by someone through a Facebook message, "Hang in their peaceful warrior." I didn't know what that meant. He said, "It's a book. Go ahead, read it." That book helped my path mm-hmm. unfold. Three, two, two and a half years after I read the book, here I am in upstate New York with Dan Millman on a weekend retreat, and it was the first part of the weekend was cultivating the peaceful, compassionate heart. And the last part on Sunday was developing your warrior spirit. So here we were with Dan Millman, who is a phenomenal spiritual teacher. And we are learning martial arts, doing a martial arts routine to a Lionel Richie song on a Sunday morning (laughs) in upstate New York. And I'm like, how the hell did I get here? I mean, it was like the surreal experience, but after we did the martial arts, Delano Ritchie, he had us do an exercise in which we gathered into groups of three people. And let's say, Ellie, you are my long lost friend that I see across the room. And I start to walk towards you to embrace you. And as I'm on my way, walking to you, person number three in our little group throws their arm out, blocking me and preventing me from getting to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This person, number three, who threw their arm out represents self-doubt. So we had to go through this exercise nine times where each person played each of the roles. But as I'm going to walk towards you, I get stopped. And then I have to go back to my starting point. I try again. I get blocked once again, self-doubt preventing me from getting to where I'm trying to go. The third time I push past self-doubt and I get to reach my goal and I go and I embrace you. So we had to do this Rotate each roll three times. He then assembled two cement blocks with a purple meditation cushion in between and a plastic interlocking board across the top. Mm -hmm. And he says, we have to break a board. Is it okay if I swear on your show? Go for it. Good. My immediate thought when he says, We have to do this is I can't fucking break a board. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Hey, self-doubt, immediate, like Mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. After he assembles this self-doubt was like full and present in front of me. He says, so what's the goal? And we're like, duh, you just told us the goal is to break a board. He said, no, the goal is to hit the cushion underneath. The board is simply in your way. He said, the cushion represents your dreams or your goals, and the board simply represents your obstacles.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And there were three different boards we could choose. The one that was the weight of an equivalent piece of wood, a lighter one, and a heavier one. So we had to decide which board are we going to try to break. And I'm still telling myself, I can't fucking do this. Like, there's no (laughs) way I can break a board. So it's my turn. I get up there. There's 60 people in the room chanting my name. I'm kneeling down in front of this, you know, cement blocks with the board and the purple meditation cushion underneath. And I'm looking up at Dan Millman and I'm practicing like, you know, what I'm going to do if I'm going to karate chop this board and I didn't break it. Mm. And he told us we were only going to get one chance to do it. And I didn't break it. And I was full of so much shame and embarrassment but also confirmation of my self doubt. See, I told myself I couldn't do it, I didn't mm-hmm. do it. And I, I knew two things I immediately did wrong. One, I hit with the wrong part of my hand and I knew because the little tip of my pinky instantly turned purple. <laughs> but I, I realized that my entire focus of attention and all the energy was on the board. It was not on the cushion. I was focusing all my energy on the obstacles. And where i was staying stuck mm-hmm. so everyone in the room goes he then says okay raise your hand if you did not break the board and i'm one of six people who raised my hand again full of embarrassment and shame that even like these like 80 year old women broke the board Now, given they probably chose the lighter one but still <laughs> i still didn't i thought i should have been able to do it so he says okay i'm going to give you one more chance if you didn't break it so i go up again And now I had to decide, am I going to choose the lighter board, which would Mm -hmm. give me greater success, or am I going to choose the one that I tried to begin with? What do you think I chose?
0: You chose the one you didn't get a chance to before.
1: A hundred percent. I'm like, there's no easy way out here. If I'm I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm kneeling down again in front of Dan Millman. I'm looking up at him. He's reminding me to breathe. He says, when you do it, that's when you do it. Like when you decide you're going to come down and hit it, that's when you commit. Like don't psych yourself out. Just be present, breathe. And something in me shifted. And I felt this intense energetic shift where all of my focus and attention went from the board to the cushion.
2: Hmm.
1: And I, I chose to push self-doubt aside. And rather than focus my energy on the obstacles, I focused on the goal. Took a deep breath, looked up at Dan, moment I'm breathing, put my arm up in the air, and I came down, and I broke the board, and my hand hit that cushion, and I let out the biggest like whopping <laughs> scream of joy. But in that moment, Ellie, I realized I no longer had an excuse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That that was my single most life-defining changing moment. That everything i had been afraid of because of fear and anxiety and self-doubt. I was choosing to not push past. Hmm. And I also, one last piece of this was I had always seen the future and the unknown as scary, but here I was in my life and in my marriage where I was unhappy and I was like, I was not unhappy. I was unfulfilled. It was really Mm -hmm. existential. I was happy. I had an amazing life. I just wasn't fulfilled. And it just wasn't enough for me at that point.
2: Mm -hmm. But
1: I made the mindset shift to recognizing that it was actually the future in which possibility resided
2: Mm -hmm.
1: here. I was in the present moment in the known and I wasn't fulfilled, but so that must meant it must reside in the the unknown. Mm -hmm. So between using my energy to plug it in, breaking the board and having that mindset shift, there was no stopping me. And I'm like, ah, shit, I've got to get divorced. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the thing with awareness, like awareness sucks. Because now, if you're really being mindful, you have a responsibility to Mm -hmm. tend to what you're now aware of. Otherwise, you're just taking a spiritual bypassing to say you're doing the work, but you're not really doing any of it.
2: 100%.
0: That's an amazing story. Two two amazing stories. I love, you so, know, I'm a big storyteller. I love those stories.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I, I was so driven by integrity of the tools. Of I was really afraid, honestly, of standing up on stage somewhere, giving some mindfulness, fantastic talk, and having someone in the audience stand up and pointing out to me and saying, yeah, but you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to actually show up and be this mindfulness-based therapist and guide people through pushing past all the boards in their life to try to reach their cushions, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to do that, then I'm out of integrity unless I'm doing that Mm -hmm. myself.
2: I love that.
0: Basically like practice what you preach kind of thing.
1: A hundred percent. And to kind of bring it full circle to the introduction of me being a therapist, I'm a really untraditional therapist and I'm really proud of that because I bring my whole self to the room in a way that deepens connection and vulnerability and inspires true transformation because I'm going to share my life with my clients where appropriate. So I can honestly say, not only do I get you and do I see you and I've been there and this is what it looks like to put these tools into practice.
0: You know, I love that you said that you're an unconditional therapist. That's one of the reasons why I love what you do and why I wanted you on. And, you know, we don't have that much time left have like 15 minutes or so. Um, The idea of what classic therapy is, and I'm not a big proponent of this. I'm not a big fan of the stoic, you know, cold shoulder type of how does that make you feel therapy. I when I meet my clients for the first time, that was one of the first things that I throw out. I tell them that myth is not what I bring to the table. I am an active therapist. I am here with you. I am there with you. We are connected to human beings in the same room, being human. And that is I love that you said that because I think it's such a big misconception for all the listeners out there for what therapy truly can be versus what your experience in the past might have been with a therapist. Yeah. Um, that's very old school. And there was and this I, mentality, I, I don't bring emotion, yeah. no emotion. And I love that you brought that in of the unconventional, which I think should be the conventional therapies.
1: I, I fully agree. And it, you know, it feels really backwards to me that mm-hmm. here's this therapist client relationship, which is supposed to role model the ideal relationships mm-hmm. you want in your life with vulnerability and depth and safety and security. And how in the world is that supposed to happen when it's one-sided?
0: Oh, 100%.
1: And I want to be that person. And I hold boundaries for sure.
0: doesn't mean you're, you're being inappropriate or crossing levels and things that are unethical. You're doing things in the guidelines but you're doing it in a way that is actual connection versus disconnect.
1: And, and I, and I, and I think that the connection is let's be human, Mm. you know, and let me share in your joys and let me sit with you in compassion in your pains. And let me share with you, you know, how you can learn from my journey in a Mm. really skillful way. And, you know, like I, I, I don't, gratuitously text my clients hey how you doing today you know but when appropriate <clears throat> i will reach out in between sessions i had a client who just last night moved into her own apartment for the very first time and I, that was a huge step and i know a deep reflection of the deep work she and i have done and i texted her congratulations i'm so proud of you like amazing you know what this is human yeah. this is a human relationship and to show up with the deep level of integrity I hold for the practice. And I also really kind of bridge therapy and coaching because mm-hmm. I use this framework of mindfulness and a lot of therapy focuses on the past and coaching focuses on the future. And I'm the bridge in between because I think the past is important, the past is context. We need to heal our wounds and we also need to have a, a, a solid set of tools to draw upon in the moment. Because when you're having that panic attack or when you're having the argument with your spouse or you're having a challenging parenting moment with a child tantruming, having healed your past wounds is not gonna give you the tools to manage through that difficulty in the moment.
0: So true, so true. I love that. So
1: That's why I love mindfulness because to me it is that solid framework of tools to be able to say, okay, let me honor what's arising let me have compassion for what I'm feeling and experiencing and let me get out of my head and where my story is taking me. And now let me get really centered so I can respond and not react to whatever's coming up for me or for you.
0: And I love that you said that you combine both therapy and coaching. You know, I feel very similar in that way. You know, I am a classically trained therapist. I'm a social work therapist. I almost have my LCSW and I work in a community clinic, working crazy hours. And I also have a side, a side hustle elevation in this podcast which is more quote-unquote coaching-esque, but still is based in legitimate training. Just because yes. I call it coaching does not mean it's something that I got, that I mailed in, paid money yeah. for, and didn't get trained for. I'm actually a therapist that just has a, a mindset of a coach about you know, smart, practical goals, keeping it simple, all those things that coaches use. It doesn't v- invalidate anything that I'm doing. And sometimes 100%. therapists- therapists get a little sketchy about that. They go, "Oh, you do coaching all like what is that? Oh, you're not supposed to a life coach Oh like you know they look at it differently and my mentality is wellness is wellness and yeah. helping someone get to where they need to be should be embraced whether and this is a question I was going to ask and maybe I have to have it yeah. on a second time talking about you being LMFT right LMFT, LMHC, LCSW D. Psychiat all these different yeah. things, all the different words and letters in the alphabet that we use to define ourselves, it's all one family of helping human beings on their yeah. journey. And I think yeah. that to fight against or to look down upon a title um, takes away from, if that is your choice to find, that's what your search is. And you end up in that, with that person in that office and you're yeah. going to help you need to heal and deal with the issues. Amazing. The fact that yeah. you went for help, no matter what the title of that person is, if yeah. you're doing it ethically and not abusing the system and helping you in your journey, whatever that means.
1: Absolutely, embrace
0: it. Um, one of the last questions I want to ask you today is: I saw a little, a little thing that that you had a little piece in Oprah's magazine. Yes, tell us about that.
1: Well, uh, you know, to be honest, I have done a lot of different um, media outlets and quotes. And I'm I'm laughing at the moment. I don't even remember what my Oprah one was. How it was about it was
0: about that? it was about marriage. But maybe you know what? Let's we'll save that for another time. We'll Let's talk keep it marriage.
1: broader. But you know, I, I I will say that I've really sought out ways to bring greater awareness to the work—not just that I do, but to mindfulness and therapy in general. Like you mm-hmm. were saying from that piece of bonus, and part of it is um, working to get media placements in different outlets to, I'm not looking to become famous. I'm not looking for the, you know, the, oh, look what I did. It was more of look where my reach can expand. Love look that. at where I can gain greater access for people to get these tools. And if someone happens to see mm-hmm. a placement I did and, you know, seek me out, then, you know, that then I'm doing my work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is, I just want to help as many people as I can get unstuck.
0: I just spoke to my mom about this this morning. She asked me, like, I said, oh, I have a podcast recording later. She's like, what's your goal with all these, having these people on? And I said, the more people I have and the more my name or title gets recognized, the more people can just get a greater appreciation of what help is. And it's not, it's not about the number (laughs) of followers, even though I would love millions of followers, because it means that the, my reach is bet my reach of helping people. And yeah, it's not about fame or fortune. It's really, and that's what I think truly separates the people who are actually in this for the right reason yes, and doing this for the right reason versus just trying to get that title or that book deal or that thing.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I'm, I, I am excited to continue to grow and expand my reach. I actually have a new book coming out, um, in early 2021. So maybe i can come back on and share that it's, um, a book on gratitude. Love that. And, you know, I'm in the same place with you, with my own podcast, with the work that I'm doing. And, you know, I love when people say, Hey, I heard your podcast. And do you work individually with people? It's like, that to me means something I'm doing. I love is that.
0: It like, builds my, it makes my heart <laughs> flutter. Cause it means it's some, it reached someone who needed help.
1: Yeah. And it's, I, I think one of the beauties of COVID, and I think there's been a lot of beauties of COVID. I agree. And one of them is aside from the financial benefit, but my client load has doubled.
0: I'm sure since
1: COVID. And part of the beauty of it is I am going against that traditional. So I say this on the hush hush a little bit, but licensing isn't for the state of California. But I have clients right now all over the country and some around the world. So, you know, I will be creative in saying, I'm coaching you. I'm not the a therapist because, right? Because we gotta, you know, hold uh, integrity to our licensures 100%, and I'm not d- denounce the licensures. But I'm not gonna limit my ability to help somebody.
0: I agree. I do the same. thing. Right,
1: and so I just I love that COVID has given me the ability to expand the borders beyond my beautiful little private practice office, and I'm probably never gonna go back to. <laughs> because it, why limit who I can help and who I can serve? And like even just since COVID hit. My fiance, John, and I, who I know you've interviewed as well, he and I put together a Surviving to Thriving Summit when COVID first started and interviewed 25 experts all over the world. Since Mm -hmm. COVID hit, I've launched a mindfulness monthly membership program because to me, it's about being in service. And I just am completely service-driven around, I want to help as many people as they can. And it's not just getting unstuck. The other thing I say I do is I help people be in better relationship, better relationship to themselves, to their partners and to their children. Mm. And I, and I can never narrow down what's my one ideal client, because I think it's number one, all too intertwined. Number two, the tools are the same, but that's my, that's my hope is that we are in better relationship Mm. to ourselves and to the people we love. And that's going to matter on how we show up. Mm -hmm. And the quality of presence we're bringing to each moment. And that's, to me, the fundamental asset of mindfulness. It's not something you add to your to-do list. Meditation, add that to your to-do list. That's something you do. Meditation and mindfulness are not the same thing. Meditation is a foundation of a mindfulness practice. But mindfulness isn't something you do. It's something you be. It's something that you add to your to-be list. Who do I want to be in the world? How do I want to show up? What's the quality of presence I want to bring to each moment? And how do I attend to whatever's arising? And with that, we have a choice in how we do that.
0: I love that. I think that's the takeaway tip of to, to how to be. Um, so can you tell everyone where to find you? I know you have summits. I know you have uh, journey forward and all these things that you're involved yes. in and do. Can you let us, let people know where to find yeah, your information, the, and all this
1: stuff. The, the best place is my website, which is just my name, joryrose.com. And from there you'll find access to connecting with me on social media on Instagram. It's at Rose. on Facebook. I also have an active, um, Journey Forward with Joy Rose Facebook group in which I lead weekly meditations guide tools of mindfulness create community and conversation around how to apply that into everyday life I've got a couple of mini courses on my website as well and of course my my podcast Journey Forward with Jory Rose and you know the the monthly membership is something that's going to the doors will get opened again and again it's it's different ways to access the tools to create lasting positive change so
0: Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I have to have you on again to talk about all my marriage uh, and dating questions I had. On I would
1: that. love that because that is something that I, there, I so <laughs> many things right up my alley. Like I said, I can't pick one. I would love to come back on and talk Well, we'll about We'll that.
0: try to have you on again as soon as possible. Thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate all the best to everything Thanks. you're doing Thank and you. I really appreciate it.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Be well.
0: Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist, and it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics, and really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on, I truly appreciate it because that's what make this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, so we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.